Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Be Here Now. I am your host, Bridget Mitchell. And on today's episode, I wanted to start, before I jump into the introduction, I wanted to start with a little ode to someone who recently passed away. Her name was Lee, and she was a quote-unquote influencer that I followed. And She was a pioneer in the van life community and someone that got me into wanting to live in a van and exploring life in the world in a new way Uh, about four or five years ago is when I started following her. So she has been a positive impact in my life for several years and Unfortunately, she lost her battle to depression uh, about two weeks ago, and the community on YouTube and Instagram uh, is rallying to speak up for her with the hashtag speak up for Lee, and I felt that, um, I mean, I feel very strongly about mental health, and and, um, I, I would consider myself to be an advocate for speaking out and getting help and normalizing therapy and normalizing medication if it's necessary for you and uh, normalizing these hard conversations with your friends and your family. And um, I felt that it was necessary for me to use my podcast, even though I don't know how many people listen to it, but just use my podcast as a way to speak up for Lee and, um, say that if you are struggling, I really encourage you, I really encourage you and empower you to speak up and, and reach out. Even if it's hard for you to vocalize how it is that you're feeling to the person that you're speaking to, maybe just sitting with someone and letting them hold you and, and, and letting you feel all that you're feeling. Maybe that's the, the best place to start. And I know that there are so many people who have been there for me in my darker days. And I know that I've been there for so many people in their darker days. And I know that one of the only ways to really thrive and survive in this world is is with human connection and with um, normalizing these hard things that so many people experience. And I just wanted to say that Even if I don't know you personally, I love you and I appreciate you and I, I know that there is a place for you in this world. Um, and obviously if you're listening to this, I'm grateful for you and for, um, allowing me to speak into your, uh, into your space, I guess. But (sighs) segueing there, I just wanted to, um, introduce my next guest, His name is Noah LeBeau, and he was such a fun guest to have. He is so wise and has so much, uh, I guess, wisdom to give and to offer. But Noah has traveled all over the world and has witnessed and experienced so many different cultures. And one commonality that he has found throughout all of the different cultures that he has been immersed in is that human connection is so powerful and authentic relationships are, um, kind of like the 
foundation of humanity. And we talk a lot about these intimacy experiences that he has created. And uh, I am just really happy with the conversation that we were able to have. And I'm grateful for the conversation that we were able to have. Um, I left feeling very fulfilled and um, uplifted. And I hope that uh, you feel the same. But I appreciate you for listening. And um, this is Be Here Now. All righty. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Today, I am joined by a very special guest. I told myself I was going to stop saying that because I start every podcast with that. Um, but this is a very special guest. This is someone that I was introduced to through a mutual friend. And I immediately knew like I needed to have this person on my podcast because he's just very interesting and wise. <laughs> and yeah, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, Bridget, thank you so much for asking me to do this. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think it's exciting what you're doing here and the fact that you want to record these conversations for other folks to hear. I just think that the dedication to making the world a better place in whatever way feels good for you is a really beautiful thing to see you follow through on. So cool to be recording this with you. Of course. Um, yeah. Should I say my name? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hi, my name is Noah LeBeau and I am from Long Beach, California. I'm a nice guy that likes to dance <laughs> and to swim and yeah, tell me where to go. Um, yeah, I'm very happy to have you on. Um, so Noah and I met through our, it's also hilarious how significantly louder I am than you, like naturally, but I think I'm kind of partially deaf in my mm. ears is why I'm so loud. My yeah. whole family is loud. Um, Noah's very soft-spoken, <laughs> um, but we met through our friend Lauren, and uh, he came over for dinner to her place, and he had us do this, like, sit in a circle, what is it called? It's, it a, called? it's literally just called circling. Circling, yeah. that's right, and we were touching knees, sitting crisscross applesauce, and we were just having the most intense eye contact I have ever had in my life and I was like oh my god this guy I'm gonna die I'm gonna die right now from this eye contact um but it was got me so far out of my comfort zone and it was really really good but that is how we met mm. like the first time right off the bat made dinner and then like just staring into each other's souls basically well and it was amazing how relatively quickly you relaxed right into it mm -hmm. i mean maybe the first four or five minutes you were able to <laughs> say like okay so our eye contact is very intense right now uh -huh. and once you labeled it maybe five minutes later you were like this is getting easier <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man i'm still working on that yeah because of that experience i've become more conscious of it i think even when I'm just talking to someone like sitting across from me at the bar or at a table at the bar and I'm like, okay, wait, redirect like eye contact. Yeah. Um, it's very powerful. Mm. It's can be intimidating. Sure. You have to like really stand in your own power and like know who you are. Yeah. 
Um, and I remember you like calling me out, not calling me out, but, um, noticing whenever I would like my posture would change or, um, yeah, you notice like the small details, but you're kind of, I don't want to say an expert. I don't want to label you as that, but you've done this before, uh, which we'll get into, but yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, and like what you're currently doing with life? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see where to begin. Um, I guess I'll, I'll start chronologically and mm-hmm. I'll just kind of include a handful of aspects of my background and my childhood that certainly inform aspects of who I am today. Mm-hmm. I think I grew up in Southern California. I was, a uh, absolute beach baby and you know growing up I spent you know I played water polo I surfed I probably spent a collective 25 hours in the pool every week for 12 years Um, I played water polo in college I have a very close relationship with my whole family Mm -hmm. and we're incredibly open people Um, I guess like some fun facts of like how do you know your family's open um I still see my whole family naked. Um, no way. Yeah. I did not know that about you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like your parents too? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And like that never became like a taboo thing. Uh-huh. There's like, it's not like we're like hanging out like a nudist <laughs> family, but there's certainly just like a lot of um, openness there. Mm-hmm. Um, another, I, I doubt we'll talk about it, but maybe we will in, in some depth. Um but uh, this is a very important experience to me. When I was 16, um, I took LSD for the first time with my best friend, and I asked my dad to come and be our walking guide. Mm. And so the three of us hiked through Sequoia National Park in California. Wow. Um, and just being sandwiched between my father, who I love so much, and my best friend, who is still one of my best friends to this day, mm-hmm. 16 years old top of a mountain you know screaming at the top of my lungs and and just being held in love in that way um that that direct experience that possible way of being has really informed a lot of the way i view the world um yeah and then after high school i went to college in new york i went to fordham university um after that i filmed a documentary and rode my bicycle from New York to California over the course of a summer. I forgot Um, about that. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I want to talk about that too. Sure, sure. (laughs) And then um, I arrived in Southern California again, started editing the film and moved up to San Francisco. And I lived up there and, you know, all sorts of things happened. But one of them was meeting um, a really lovely group of... um, English as a second language learners Mm -hmm. at living in a dormitory in Berkeley and the predominance um, of the Asian community in that group really informed my curiosity about Asia and so then I moved to China for a year and I lived there teaching English and then I traveled South Asia, India and predominantly India but all of South Asia for another year um came back to the States via 
Guatemala and Mexico, and I've been back in the States for about two years now, um, pursuing a degree in social work, um, community organizing and gathering, um, and really just hosting a lot of events around this idea of learning, playing, and growing so that we and those around us may thrive more holistically. Mm. Yeah. That was a great synopsis. Hmm. Is that the right word? Um, yeah, there's a lot to, you're a very interesting, how old are you again? 27. 27. You've done a lot for 27. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, out of curiosity, like what's one significant memory that you have, like just one that you can think of, like the first one that comes to your mind, just like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I just flashed a million different things. Yeah. Um, I think one like, man, okay. Like the first thing that came to my mind was being at the Rohingya refugee camps in mm. Bangladesh. Um, I'm not sure if you heard about that, but Mm-mm. it's still happening. They actually just had a massive fire there, which was terrible. Um, but after I was in uh, China, when I began traveling more openly around Asia, one of the places I stopped in was Bangladesh. And I went down to a city called Cox Bazaar and started asking all of the foreign aid individuals who had arrived in order to help the Rohingya people, a minority Muslim population living in Myanmar, who were experiencing a genocide from the Myanmari uh, military. Mm-hmm. So I went there my statistics will not be 100% accurate, but something like a million people had been forced off of their land over the course of one year and moved onto uh, Bengali soil. But the Bengalis didn't want to have the Rohingya coming in. And so they kept them in something like a 10 by 10 square kilometer space. Mm. And um, yeah, I volunteered there for two weeks helping and filming a, a small kind of like a, infomercial about one of the nonprofits there mm-hmm. to help them in a fundraising campaign. Um, but I mean that the people and being able to live in those camps for a short period of time. Yeah. really informed the way that I think about possible suffering and the way that I know suffering can exist due to no cause of the individual. Um, and I think a, a commitment to wanting to relieve that suffering comes from the direct, direct experience of it. Mm. So, yeah, that that too really informs a lot of my a lot of my life. It's kind of the polar opposite from the first thing that I mentioned: being able to be at the mountaintop with my dad and my mm. friend, um, being able to slide experientially along the scale of possible ways of being and feeling in the world certainly skews my bias um, such that I want more well-being and I want less suffering for ourselves and everyone and the planet as a as a whole uh, eco-centric thinking wow thank you for sharing that that uh I was (laughs) I didn't have any expectations for what your answer was going to be but I was not expecting that. Um, what, would, what did you study in undergrad? Was philo- it film? A philosophy. Philosophy. Oh, my goodness. Philosophy, social work. Um, 
How did you get into filmmaking? That's a great question. I don't <laughs> even really know. I just had things that I wanted to talk about that I thought were important mm. and wanting to talk about them. Something drew me to film kind of straight away. Um, I had a roommate in college that was into film, although he ended up not pursuing it. Perhaps it being in dialogue with him made me think of that medium. It, mm-hmm. I feel natural on camera. It felt like the way that I like to digest certain stories. Um, yeah, but it's funny. I, I mean, I am the most broke bootstrapped filmmaker you can possibly imagine <laughs> that has just been a buy a camera buy a recorder and see what you can do with it you know mm-hmm. interesting yeah um so fast forward a little bit uh traveling in a van when did you start traveling in a van for the first time uh recently i um i spent pretty much all of covid at my parents house i you know, all sorts of things were happening. The mm-hmm. world was shutting down. So I went home to be with my family. And while I was there, I realized that I wanted, there was a lot I wanted to achieve, but that none of it would be making me money in the short term. But I needed to be outside of my parents' home. I needed some flexibility. So I just recognized a van would fit my needs. I mm-hmm. can live in the vehicle. I can travel around. I can keep my expenses super low right now. I eat out and I like to drink bougie coffee. So my <laughs> bills are a little higher than I they need to be. But I spend about $900 a month on my entire life. Um, and I own the vehicle. So I get to sell her someday. Yeah. And you started, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, didn't you convert a, was it a delivery truck? Yeah, it was a USPS postal truck, like the one that you can imagine the delivery drivers driving that have the slider doors uh up at the front, you know, so they can drive with the doors open and it's got the roll up back like one of those Amazon trucks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You converted one of those? Yeah, we we bought one off of a government auction, my ex-partner and I, and uh, yeah, she and I spent probably four months turning that into our, our little baby. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> I really want a short bus one day. Yeah. So, I mean, look, the, the <laughs> van life thing is a whole nother conversation, but mm-hmm. um, school buses, USPS delivery trucks, um, vehicles that aren't meant for comfort mm. are not terribly comfortable. <laughs> so, although they look cool, you're still driving a school bus all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you remember what school buses were like? They're kind of rickety and like mm. shake a lot Bouncy, and they're loud. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So it, you know, sprinter vans are nice because they're, they're actually just really pleasant vehicles to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's why I went with getting an RV and got rid of the van. Yeah. I like your little RV. It's super cute. Yeah. Um, okay. So going a little deeper into who you are and like, how you got to be sitting in my apartment right now. (laughs) Um, I want to know, I know I like wrote down the good, the bad and the ugly, but I'm really curious. You're a very intentional person and you shared that your family is very open, which Mm. is amazing. Mm. Um, That's very much a privilege Mm. um, because my family is not like that. Mm. I'm still privileged to even have very supportive parents, but the dynamic is very different. Um, but I'm curious to know 
some of the like pivotal moments in your life, I'm sure what you shared about the, um, what did you not, I don't want to say concentration camps. What did you, what was the term you used? Oh, um, refugee camps. Refugee camps. That was the word I was looking for. I'm sure that was like a very pivotal moment in your life. But, um, can you think of any others that really shifted who you are? And also this being 16 year old, 16 years old, taking LSD and like having your dad watch you is super fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, pivotal moments. Well, Mm, 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 mm. yeah there's funny things when you ask me that question like things that (laughs) i haven't really necessarily reflected on Mm -hmm. in a long time Mm -hmm. um one of them really and truly was having a peer um when i was young in high school coming out to me uh as gay and me accepting him out of Mm -hmm. hand but the way that me being one of the first one or two people that he had come out to feeling safe to explore those conversations with me and me not being in that world not having a lot of connections not knowing the right way being just as curious about his process his experience Mm -hmm. his set of thoughts and thinking um but yeah it just I think it um, normalized um, any homosexual feelings that I had ever had Mm -hmm. and thinking about men and thinking about what it is and isn't appropriate to do with men. He just shone a light in a direction that nobody had ever done before. Mm -hmm. And again, my family, of course, would accept anything like that, but I had never had those inclinations nor been in a context where that was being openly discussed. And I mean, you know, shout out to to him. I, I don't know if he'd like let me to say his name right now, but I always think about him as someone who who probably planted a seed that has grown in very interesting ways since with regards to my own conceptions of sexuality mm-hmm. and what I think is and is and is not okay. Um and we can get into that more, but it's just been that was, you know, I really think pivotal having him as, as a young and older um, peer to reflect those things to and and to be reflected upon. Um, so that was huge. Mm. Moving to New York City in college was, you know, I mean, it's it's New York, right? You don't it, strike me as a New York City kind of guy. There was a little while where I was walking fast and feeling myself mm-hmm. and wearing all black and. <laughs> Um, and I was thinking about getting into commercial real estate and I was going to dinners in downtown Manhattan and just hanging out with bougie people and (laughs) a lot. I mean, my college friends are still dear to my heart. Um, but just the whole city experience and Fordham as a small Jesuit college, pretty affluent, quite expensive. Just the whole mix of it is just it just showed me how much I love culture. Mm. California is, uh, it's got plenty of culture, but it's just slow and laid back and not very edgy. And New York was so cutting edge and everybody felt like they were so on mission there and mm. everything was, was happening and alive and just that energy. I had never been around anything like that before. And it absolutely 
filled me up and allowed me to express myself in a way that I didn't know I wanted to express myself. Um, kind of radical entrepreneurial creative energy that I had, had never had an outlet or at least had never been met at a pace greater than it. And so to have peers all around me, you know, that looked like they were moving in hyperspeed compared to me towards things that they thought were interesting, Mm. felt like it gave me permission to just go for it. And that was, that was huge and, and made me love big cities. I just wanted to be around the art and the culture and the pulse of people in their fullest expression. Mm. Yeah, that was huge. New York's a cool place. Yeah. I've only been there once. Doesn't really count as a layover. Okay. <laughs> but I like that energy is so vibrant. Mm. Yeah, very much there. I stayed at a hostel in the Bronx, I think. Yeah. Called, and I had put my luggage in one of those airport lockers and then got on the wrong train in the wrong direction trying to get to this hostel. And everyone was super kind that I asked for guidance and help. Mm. Mind you, it was the middle of the night. My phone was dead. (laughs) I'd been in, it was a city I'd never been to. I'm like a young girl traveling on her own with a backpack and a yoga mat. Wow. That was a journey. (laughs) Um, But cool city. So the word entrepreneur came, came up, you just said, Hmm. and, um, I want to talk about the dinners that you created. So like Mm. entrepreneurship and culture that like blend. Mm. So you were living in Asia when you first started, um, your say the name again, the dinner deep dive, the dinner deep dives. Mm. Um, okay. So whenever I first met Noah, we were doing the circling, uh, circling and that is a form of intimacy. It's an intimacy experience. Yeah. It's a specifically it's a interpersonal meditation An interpersonal meditation, which is a form of what was the next step we were calling it? Yeah. I would say <laughs> that it falls into the category. Well, Circling is a little different, but mm-hmm. it falls under a category similar to authentic relating okay. or kind of intimacy work, mm-hmm. intimacy experiences. So how did you get into all of that? And then the dinners in Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that I took a um, non-traditional route into this sort of stuff because I think that there are, um, especially in certain circles, more easy openings into this yeah just kind of avant-garde ways of relating to people Mm -hmm. for no better term than that it feels very cutting edge very very new um i started this is so funny it's a long give me a second it'll come full circle i swear (laughs) when i was working in san francisco uh editing the film I needed a part-time job, and so I got several, but one of them was at an escape room mm. called um, Palace Games, and they have quite a few escape rooms there. Really one of the best, if not the best, escape room in San Francisco and one of the best in the country. They got me curious about this field of experience design, and they were experience, they were designing narrative playable experiences and you know 
everything is an experience. And so you may not be designing it with the lens of experience design on, but nevertheless, you're designing an experience. Mm-hmm. Even coming into your apartment today, seeing this, you know, eight foot tall teddy bear. Um, <laughs> That's Laz. Laz, yeah. Laz is a, a tender gentleman in the corner here. Um, Laz triggers all sorts of things for me, right? Mm-hmm. It makes me think of softness, makes me think of my teddy bear named Baby Bear when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it brings about emotions and that in itself is an experience. Mm-hmm. This yeah, I believe it's a futon, but super deep couch. I'm able to sit on it cross-legged. That sets up a whole um, plethora of opportunities that don't exist in a more right-angled, shorter seated couch. Mm-hmm. Um, these little things create, for example, on this couch, the ability to cuddle far more easily. Mm-hmm. So how does your context, how do the people there, how do their... <laughs> How do their outfits and has, how does everything about the physical, energetic, social context affect the way that someone's experience of it is? And what this whole field of experience design was saying is we can design things in such a way that it actually reliably creates the experience we want them to have. The most classic well-known globally that creates an experience is Disneyland or Mm. Disney world. Mm -hmm. Um, They are the happiest place on earth and everything about their experience is an attempt at reaffirming that truth about them and making sure that your experience of the place is that it was one of your happiest days in the escape room. The experience we were designing was one of team building, cooperation, communication, critical thinking skills, and creative role play Mm. in such a way that you get to feel nervousness when the clock is ticking down. And you can experience something called eustress, which is the positive affect of manageable amounts of stress on the mind and body. We're able to induce uh, excitement when secret doors would pop open or something like this. And so we would have people reliably leaving with a sense of accomplishment, a sense of nude connection, renewed or new connection with the the other team members. Mm -hmm. And just this idea that, wow, I can give someone something to do, an experience to be had that will reliably bring them to these thoughts, feelings, and connections, whatever it might be that I'm hoping for them to feel. Mm -hmm. And that just launched me Mm. into this tangent of what else is possible. What is there for us to get in this lifetime that is inaccessible by taking life at face value and kind of seeing where it goes and remaining endlessly open? What is possible when we intentionally pause, set a goal for our experience, and then create a container such that we can move in that direction? Who knows? Anything is possible, really. And what does it mean when more peers gain the ability to recognize containers, feel safely held inside of them, and then to play more fully within the constraints of rules and shared understandings. 
I don't know, but I'm very curious to find out because when I play with other people with rules, with an understanding of consent, with shared meaning, we create incredible things together. Mm-hmm. Something about that just hooked me. Okay, so that's the genesis of all of this experience design. I moved to China. I'm teaching at the university in Shanghai. And I go to uh, this very cool party, uh, Dragon Burn, which is a small regional burning man in no China. Way. Yeah, super cool. That was my first burn ever. Cool. And you know, there's 500 people out there. Mm-hmm. We're all running around having a great time. And one workshop that I attend is, I think it's Tantra 101. Mm. So this would be kind of a more typical entryway into the world of intimacy and I don't know it's a broad world I'm Mm -hmm. sure people would put a lot of different labels on it and we did some eye gazing which was my first time ever formally eye gazing it was incredibly impactful Um, we did a little bit of authentic relating though I didn't know that's what it was called at the time and I just left that experience feeling wow I feel so deeply connected to the people that I just shared that with And for a while, I had been thinking about inexperience to design in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't quite put my finger on what my inspiration was, but I knew I wanted to bring people together. At the same time, I went to the play Sleep No More. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -mm, No. Sleep No More is a originated in New York City, and it's one of the most successful, longest running, fully immersive plays. So it's a, it's the story of Hamlet. I know I don't know what to do with this thing. So Sleep No More is the story of Hamlet, but played out in a newer time, eighteen hundreds. I honestly don't know. Um, in a place called, I believe it's the McCarthy Hotel in New York City. And it's a four-story, maybe a five-story. I didn't go to the New York one. I went to the Shanghai one. But in New York, maybe a four- or five-story building that they have converted, like, basement to attic into a castle, essentially. And everything within this castle is explorable. Every room can be opened, every drawer pulled, and you as the audience member do not sit and watch the play. The play is happening on all four levels, all of the time. Characters are spread out all over the space, and so you run through the hotel, exploring different rooms, reading different clues and little notes, or finding little doodads, and following the actors around learning different aspects of the story and you are immersed in this hamlet world to discover as much as you can about the play and the play runs three times over the course of the evening so you can run off and follow different people each time to try and piece together what exactly is happening wow yeah immersive theater is incredible but that's another huge part of the experience design world Mm -hmm. So I wanted to marry these two things somehow. And so I thought of a, an immersive dinner and I decided to title it the dinner deep dive where people were going to come together for the purpose of building 
radically intimate connections Mm -hmm. with very little time. And I purposely chose to limit the dinner to only individuals who did not know each other. So it was a room of 30 strangers and I invited them up to a, I think, 15th story rooftop cafe in Shanghai. And over the course of three hours, I moved them through a set of introductory questions into a crafts section where they would make masks. We would all put on the masks and then remove the masks, stating the fact that we were going to remove our many masks that we may use to hide ourselves from Mm -hmm. each other, allowing ourselves to be authentic for the rest of the evening. And then we would have a three-course meal, and each in between and during each course would be new activities of question asking, eye gazing, um, letter writing, or anything like this that allowed us to learn more and more intimately about our partners, to understand what their world is like and what it's like to be them. And the goal was to share the same from yourself. And it was amazing having 30 strangers come together and leave the room like i mean just the fact that people would regularly say i shared things tonight that i don't even feel comfortable sharing with my family or my best friends sometimes one speaks to the broken nature Mm -hmm. of some of our most intimate relationships Mm -hmm. because those people are actually or at least should be truly intimate partners Mm -hmm. yet It also spoke about the beauty that exists in a space open to and ready to hold the vulnerability of authentic intimacy and and just how cathartic sharing can be for people Mm. and how good it can be to be seen and to hold and to be held. And to think that it only took three hours to do that with a radically international and diverse group of people, uh, it just cut through all of the barriers and it was a bunch of children, you know, just shining at each other. It was beautiful. So how, how long did you do that for that specific, um, like template of dinner? Yeah, I did three of them in Shanghai kind of right before I left to travel and those were all wonderful. And then once I started traveling, I wanted to keep doing it as a way of getting to know different countries, getting to know people there, mm-hmm. just kind of working, having a purpose in the cities really activates your ability to explore in a mm-hmm. new way. And so I ended up hosting one in Nepal, in Kathmandu, and then I hosted another one in Bangalore, India, and then I did a, a very small one in Bali, Indonesia as well. Mm. Um, and then I did something akin to it but kind of scaled back when i got back here to the states kind of for family and friends cool but yeah i would i would do it again yeah well um you were explaining to me when i the first time we met that you would go to classes i think they were here in america but what were what were those called where you would there was like a bunch of people in a room and you would go up to someone and tell them three things that you like noticed about them or what do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 (laughs) So that's something I learned about later and I didn't realize how much I was doing it already Uh when I was creating the dinner deep dives, Uh but that's called authentic relating. Oh, 
It's like the same words that I'm just like, yeah. can't seem to remember. Authentic no worries. Um, and that's more a set of practices and skills. Um, here in Austin is one of the larger American groups. They're called the Authentic Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, although they are one group of the many authentic relators around the country and world, as well as that is kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't know how contentious. I mean, these are all open-minded people, but I know that there are authentic relators and then Mm -hmm. there are circlers and there's a lot of overlap between the two, but authentic relating is typically more structured, more gamified Mm -hmm. and kind of more investigative in certain directions. You know, let's see what it's like for me to interact with you on, you know, this kind of friendly curiosity basis. Let's see where my prejudices lie Mm -hmm. and how we can use each other in a game format to kind of explore that. Or let's see how I have a relationship with people around my sexual impulses and Mm -hmm. let's play a game to see what comes up for me when I think about the context and the expression of sex in my life and how that shows up for me. So it it tends to have a little bit more of a focus and to be more mechanistic Mm -hmm. as far as the games that are played. Whereas the other style circling traditionally is far more organic. And within the context of this circle, you move as the present moment awareness moves. Mm -hmm. And you're simply recognizing what is coming up, Mm -hmm. noting it. (laughs) sharing it with your partner and then hearing what their response and what they're thinking is about what you share. And you just kind of stay in this interpersonal space mm-hmm. while navigating present moment experience. I giggled because I was thinking about Abigail, the dog. Oh yeah. <laughs> the dog like kept getting in the middle of our circle. Mm-hmm. That was hilarious. Yeah. She was holding down some, intense eye contact too i was like girl besides your breath like i love you (laughs) oh my god oh it's funny um okay so the dinner deep dive i want to do one Mm. so bad are you planning on hosting any here in austin or um i have been thinking about one yeah i've been really putting my sights on more of like a um uh, couples dinner deep dive mm. one uh, two different styles one for singles to meet other singles so like a speed dating evening done my way and then cool. um, another one would be more like uh, couples coming with their significant partner and then um, I think I would call it like the five senses and you would connect with your partner in five different ways that are kind of probably outside of your norm yeah um, and kind of all of them I kind of view as like skill building opportunities Mm. what i really hope is that you gain some insight about new ways for you to set a safe container and some um, inspiration about what might then happen in that container and then hopefully people take that home with them and continue to experiment and continue to stretch their own comfort zone and think outside their own boxes oh wow okay a lot of things just popped up into my head as you were saying that um I think that would be amazing to do for singles because Mm. I mean the term intimacy when we first started talking about or when you were explaining these um, intimate experiences that you create um, I immediately thought of sex Mm. uh, between two partners Mm. and you were like no 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 there's so much more than that it's Mm. not just sexual 
but that's just like my brain and also my uh, my ignorance, mm. not really understanding that eye gazing is a form of form of int- intimacy, and there's so much more to it. But I think um, in today's modern Western uh, dating culture, it's lacking intimacy in a mm. lot of ways. Mm. So I think that would be really cool just to see like what comes of it. Um, But I think you do have to find, I mean, maybe this goes without saying, but people showing up that are there for the right purpose of Mm. being intentional with the process that Mm. you've created for Mm. people to engage in. Yeah. Um, There's this uh, quick tangent. There's mm -hmm. this idea uh, in experience design of needing to create a magic circle. Mm-hmm. And you create it with a series of um, boundaries, activities, things that move someone from the world of before and into this new unique space. And if done properly, you come through the passage of the magic circle and you arrive in a state of wonder. Mm. A state of wonder is a state of recognizing that something you can't yet imagine is possible and your vision and experience of the world is one of wondrous mystery because you're living with what comes next, what is possible. And if you can get groups to be in a state of wonder collectively, They give themselves permission to do things and to hope for things and expect things or to even participate in things in ways that traditionally they wouldn't because permission isn't there and they're navigating a whole set of assumptions and Mm. prejudices and vulnerabilities and fear that come from an assumed uh, social context when we make an explicitly new social context, I find that everyone has the ability to be that person. Um, I don't even know what, what moment it is because it's, I don't want to overgeneralize, but to be that person that talks to you straight. And maybe this idea won't fit for everyone, but sometimes there's those moments when you're talking to your dearest friends and you're at the end of a long day or perhaps you've been drinking together or perhaps you did some other kind of drug together or perhaps some one of them is going through a breakup or you know something of gravity is affecting the life and you get to sit with your friend and just be there together Mm -hmm. in a way that is so intimate so vulnerable and really sees the humanity in your partner and they see it in you and you just get to be in that that shared human experience everybody seems to be able to arrive at that place and to talk to each other in that way given permission mm. um, it's it's the implicit nature of our social contexts that don't allow us to feel fully free because i'm making assumptions about what is and isn't appropriate so so yeah i just think it's uh it's a space for anything to be po- possible. And you're right. Our current implicit construct is one of a little bit more secrecy, a little bit more coyishness, mm. um, a little bit more uh, distrust, perhaps. Um, and certainly 
you know, following cultural status quo Mm -hmm. because that's the safest place to be. So, but give people permission and they'll get wild. (laughs) Oh man, that was good. Um, See, I knew like recording a podcast with you, I'd probably start thinking about so many other like side <laughs> side notes because you you spark a lot of um, curiosity, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I could talk about this forever just hmm. to like learn more about it and and you. Um, where did your so you explained your friend in school that came out to you as being gay Hmm. and you witnessed the refugee camps and you've had all these experiences. What drove you to want to look more into, um, like intimate connections? Hmm. Is it because you had open connections with your family growing up or, and you felt like there was some kind of lack in the world around you or what kind of drove you to yeah explore that a little bit more I think that I'm a bit of a connection junkie Mm. and thrive on authenticity and vulnerability Um, I believe that I'm well suited for this sort of life I don't know this my predilections lean in this direction naturally because I feel so securely attached to my family. Mm -hmm. And so having that secure attachment allows me, I don't know if you're familiar with attachment theory, but having secure attachment gives me the ability to explore confidently and exploring confidently has led me to be a far more vulnerable person and being vulnerable myself tends to give people permission to be vulnerable vulnerable with me mm-hmm. and just the frequency with which I notice folks speaking very highly of their experience of shared vulnerability and the amount of intimacy that that cultivates I think that I've just been just so curious and enthralled with that way in the world and it is also just such a deep part of our nature to be seen and to be in close relationship with each other. So I think all of those things set me up for that world. Mm -hmm. And then being in China put an interesting lens on which to view that because there isn't a lot of um, upfront intimacy in China. Mm -hmm. There's this phenomenon of protecting your face and your face is your outward facing projection to the world and you know my students would joke oh my face and what they were saying was oh I've been embarrassed Mm. or um, you know something happened that looks bad upon me it you know to use more traditional language you could say something like honor and it's a it's an honor culture and you, you you refer to your honor as your face And so you don't want to damage your face. Mm. You don't want to damage the face of your family. And because of that, you are hyper aware of cultural expectations, social expectations, because if you stray from those, then you are at risk of hurting your face in the eyes of other people. And so there's not much vulnerability. There's, for that reason, not much intimacy. 
and I just wanted to create a space where there could be more of that. And I was absolutely pushed by um, my Chinese friends who could be vulnerable with me, um, but were like, no, I could, I could never do that in other contexts, even with my other Chinese friends. Like it would take time for me to really trust them. And I just disagreed. I was like, I think that we can do it faster. I mm-hmm. think we just need the right space with the right amount of trust. Um, and that we can go all sorts of places together as long as we can agree upon how to, how to get there, um, and put the right constraints and shared agreements in place. And I, I feel very happy to say that I was right, that everybody, everybody truly is interested in meaningful connection, Mm. authentic connection and creating the space to do that is is available and it's abundant and people do it all the time already inviting each other um to come share a dinner at the person's home where they'll cook for you i mean it's extending the the olive branch right of of love and a desire to know more but just like a church perhaps for some folks is a place to more easily access the divine qualities of life Um, likewise too a dinner deep dive experience is a easier context in which people can access um, the tools necessary for intimacy and vulnerability good answer Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so kind of jumping all over the place here in my brain no worries um so as you're meeting these people in China and you're listening to your students and you're observing their culture and then Indian culture and all the other places that you lived in and, and brought these experiences to you and created these types of experiences. What were some things that you learned along the way, maybe about culture, maybe about intimacy or human connection? Um, Because every culture is so, so different, Mm. especially like in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'm curious to know. What comes up for me, uh, and I think this is true for many travelers, Mm -hmm. is yes, there is the first noticed cultural differences, colors and language and flavors smells street behavior restaurant etiquette family dynamics marriage patterns what tends to be the most surprising i think also reaffirming um and possibly deeply nurturing for some folks is that there are just so many more similarities than there are differences Mm. and so what comes up for me when you ask the question what did I learn from doing those things well it's that no matter what the superficial norms of your culture are be they beautiful cuisine or dance or music or be they more um, oh what is the word I want to say Oh, oppressive styles of culture in which your fullest human expression is more subdued or outright um, banned or discriminated Mm -hmm. against. Um, Regardless of how that superficial culture is showing up, there are still the underlying 
roots of human experience and the needs of humans to live a life of well-being. And those don't differ very much. Culture changes the way that they look, but the need that these cultural roles are filling are shared. And that's what felt so good doing these dinners in multiple countries was the way that people's reflection upon it afterwards were so paralleled. Mm. The way that they wished for more dialogue of this style, the way that they wished to be more fully who they felt themselves to be rather than whom they felt they should be Mm -hmm. those were always the conversations coming up afterwards and always the thing that made me feel that this work was so so necessary to have the direct experience of shared humanity and then to be able to begin to project that because of the confluence of people and ideas that allow you to see the world as this meta shared understanding shared patterning of human needs and desires and relating styles it it just makes the entire project of trying to make the world a more beautiful place with greater well-being is also a shared project of supplying everybody with the needs that we have as humans Mm. not as the needs that we think we need based on our culture Too good. <laughs> um, fuck. I always. That was good. I need to like. I feel like I need to write down as you're speaking, like the things that come to mind, because mm. there's always so many things. But I guess the ones that stick are the ones I have to run with. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your favorite? What's a, your favorite place you've ever been or favorite culture you've ever been immersed in? It's funny, I, I, I never know if this answer is useful to people or if, they, if it sounds like I'm just spoiled, but um, the culture of the expats in Ubud, Bali, Indonesia, this is a city in Bali, mm-hmm. is super new agey, very... Uh, I mean, I don't know if new agey lands for everybody. I mean, it's cacao ceremonies and ecstatic mm. dances and authentic relating events and tantric events for sharing and exploring sexuality. And everybody's trying to figure out how to relate to each other in appropriate ways, whether that's polyamory or open monogamy and with certain rules attached or whether or not there's kind of more just generally open relating in that like love is a something that too elusive to even put your finger on Mm -hmm. um but again you know i have this this desire to be at what feels like the cutting edge of being in a relationship and exploring what it means to be a human you know just what the raw data of experience is like and how we can keep improving that whether that's through personal practice or through exterior context and ubud is not perfect and there's all of the things ego and oppressive norms and um, judgments and clicks and mm-hmm. and all of the things yeah but i will say that they're the focus on the vast majority of the people there is personal growth 
being an integral person with deep love for themselves such that they can also love everyone else and the whole planet and being in a context where the shared mission is to do that be the best person i can be Mm -hmm. so that you can be the best person you can be and for us to share that mission collectively what a incredibly energizing and exciting place does everybody have the privilege to sit around and think about how can we live the best life possible maybe they never get the chance to think that maybe they do i don't know and Mm -hmm. don't have the means to follow up on it but that context was nevertheless made on that island amongst predominantly the expat community although some of the locals had found their way into that same style of financial as well as well as um, ideological freedom and i mean it was just ecstatic everything about it every day was so new and so adventurous and i just felt like we were breaking through paradigms every single day Mm. trying to find what felt better what was truer what held people in safer ways and we were self-critical you know such that we tried to really ask the hard questions and not just live in a hedonistic paradigm of me 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 or what feels good what feels good what feels good but where is doing the harder thing the right thing And how do we find that decision-making matrix such that we can more reliably make better decisions? You know, was every conversation or every group as forthright about their desire to be self-critical and be the best they can be? No. But were people open to that conversation and did they have the time to pursue it? Absolutely. And I've just never been in a a full-blown city that has thousands of people so energized in the same direction i mean it was just just incredible that's amazing i've never been to bali Hmm. love to go one day (laughs) post covid Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so if someone is listening to this and you know they're hearing about these connections and they don't even know where to start with their own friend group or their own family or Hmm. co-workers or whoever it might be what are some resources or I guess like ways to start having those connections and Mm. relationships because not everyone has the balls to come to a friend's house, make dinner and then ask if we can sit in a circle and stare into each other's (laughs) eyes. (laughs) So that's not always um, an option for some people. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Do you have any like resources or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the, easiest things right off the bat that someone could do is buy a card deck from the group cards for humanity Mm -hmm. and it's a woman here in austin she calls herself the connectress Mm. uh her name is erin hickok don't quote me on that last name (laughs) but she's here in austin like I said, company's name is Cards for Humanity. And the first deck I would suggest getting, I think get them all. But you can start with the deck Cards for Connection. And then I think you should just get it at the same time. Uh, let's talk about sex. Mm. And the card game will do all the heavy lifting for you. You just 
play the game and all the deep, intimate, vulnerable connections are there. The rules for how to create a safe container are right there for you as well. And that is just one of the lowest hanging fruit I can think of, of what is he talking about when he says like (laughs) authentic connection? Like it's totally likely that that falls on deaf or confused ears. Mm. And so instead of me using more and more words to try and explain something that at the end of the day is a feeling, Mm. don't trust my words, go and explore the feeling for yourself. And one way to do that is to get cards for connection by games for humanity. Another option is because of COVID I've started making audio experiences and I'm in beta testing for my first one, but this one is another intimacy connection with a partner. And it's done specifically for people in love relationships. So anybody that has deep love for another person and is interested and committed to maintaining that love going forward. So this could be parents, this could be lovers that are together now, this can be best friends. I did it with my best friend as part of the beta test. This could be siblings, really any relationship that has real love inside of it. And I say that a prerequisite is also being interested in maintaining the relationship because some of the feedback I got was... For those folks who had a uh, more contentious relationship Mm. or who were maybe more on the fence about how much energy they wanted to put into the relationship, Mm -hmm. they found it much harder to sit in such a intimate and connective space when it was harder to just be love. And what was easier was to have frustration or jealousy or shame or... Um, just a sense of unsatisfactoriness about the relationship and a desire to focus on that. Yeah. I but, love that. Thank yeah. you for sharing those resources. I want to get that, that card game. That's mm. not, I love the name of that cards for humanity. Yeah. Even though cards against humanity is pretty funny. It is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, Lauren told me about your, recordings oh cool that's pretty cool um when are you hoping to launch or how long is beta testing I'm curious. so i finished my first round of beta tests and i'm going to record the next the next like version mm-hmm. soon and i'll probably have maybe 10 couples test that hopefully okay. um that all should take four to six weeks so let's try for the release in two months. Sweet. We'll say something like that. We'll look out for it. Yeah, That would be really cool. I don't have... I mean, I, I would like to do it with maybe my sister or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. Um, wow. All right. I'm feeling very fulfilled hearing uh-huh. you share um, like what you're passionate about. Yeah. Thank you. Um, of course. So the word purpose comes up on my podcast and... It's an interesting word. It has a lot of weight for some people. For some people, this is a, a, a word that they spend their whole life trying to figure out. And then for others, for me, and for the sake of this podcast, it's just to be here now. Mm. And um, so what does that word mean for you? 
And if you have found your purpose, what is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that I think about purpose now in the same framing that Bill Plotkin thinks about uh, purpose. Who is that? Bill Plotkin is a depth psychologist and mm-hmm. he is the founder of Animus Valley, which does vision quests and um, rites of passage work out of Durango, Colorado, mm-hmm. or that area at least. And he is a fascinating thinker and psychologist, but he wrote a great book called Nature and the Human Soul. And in that book, he describes a life course, kind of a generic stage version of how humans progress through life and what their primary focus is at these different major stages from life. There's eight stages from infancy to um, the last stage of elderhood. And there's many fascinating things within the book and what pertains to purpose is the idea of what he defines as the human soul. And for him, the human soul is similar to the idea of an ecological niche. Mm -hmm. It is a place within the environment and our environment is both a social environment our relationship with our other humanly peers, as well as a earth-based environment, our relationship with the natural world, the sentient and non-sentient beings which inhabit it. Our human soul is our ecological niche, the location in which we serve ourselves, our human society, and our natural environment the best that we can. And that we're positioned like in a web connected to all of the things that we are able to serve best and that they then can be in connection and so on and so forth so that we are in a web interconnected for the entirety of our planet and its well-being. And purpose or meaning is the project of moving closer and closer to your niche or to your soul. Mm. And so when I think about purpose, well, our purpose is to find our niche and live it to the greatest extent that we can Mm -hmm. such that we and the whole world can flourish. I think that well-being in its most holistic sense is really the purpose. And I could get into my beliefs, but I don't think that's necessary right now. I think what is necessary is to know that there's a way that you can be in the world that is meaningly good for you and for everybody and that it will actually be even better for you to have everybody experiencing you in a positive way and life's purpose is to find well where is that for me Mm. and what we know from the research in positive psychology as well as many of the paradigms for understanding personality is that people have natural strengths they have natural skills And that flexing the muscles of our natural strengths and skills puts us more frequently into flow states, Mm -hmm. brings us closer to a sense of self-actualization, which only allows us to be that much happier and that much more of use to other people. And positive psychology knows that being in flow, that being of service to other people 
being grateful for the location that we have found and being open to, mindfully open to the process as it unfolds, that is what helps us discover our soul, our niche. Um, and so there is no greater purpose than being in love with yourself, being in love with the world and trusting the emergent process of who you are and where you belong in relationship to everything else. And I think that that's a hard thing for us as Westerners to understand because Mm -hmm. we come at it from such an independent point of view, whereas communal societies describe far more frequently the way in which we are part of the whole. And that's a little bit more lost here in kind of the common nomenclature. But nevertheless, we are part of the web and finding where we belong best in the web based on our natural skills, our upbringing, our genetic dispositions, our family's abilities, and all of the privileges or lack thereof that we have, there's a place for us where the world wants to receive us most and we want to be of service to the world most. You can kind of think about this like Ikigai as well, if you're familiar with that, the Japanese model for discovering this thing. Mm. Although I think Ikigai is not as holistic as everything that I'm talking about, um, as this human soul is. I think it's kind of a an aspect of it. Um, but yeah, find your human soul. Trust the process. And that's that's the purpose. And and live live it like it's the only one because it might mm. be. And so I bring death in a lot to realign my values and stay on purpose. Mm. That's good. Mm. <laughs> um, you have such a like, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Like a complex spiritual way of explaining yourself. And then I'm like, where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you should write a book or like start a podcast or something. Mm. Um, you're very well spoken. Thank you. Which is, yeah, it's, um, it's nice. Um, that's a that's a great way to that's a great perception of purpose, hmm. and I think that will be. Oh no! I think the neighbors are fighting upstairs again. Oh no! <laughs> um, I should have them listen to this. <laughs> I'll send them your <laughs> your uh, beta testing. Um, right, the couples connect. <laughs> couples we'll see. Um, where do you see yourself in the next five to ten years? Well, I'm 27 now five years i'll be 32 10 years i'll be 37 Ah. let's see well in the next five years i will finish my social work degree Mm. and i will begin and i will actually begin this year working in nature as a nature therapist and using nature as a therapeutic context. Remember I was describing the way that contexts allow for different aspects of Mm -hmm. us to come up. Nature really is the ultimate therapist. Mm -hmm. It brings you back to yourself in a way that no other human can help you do. Nature is just an incredible context. And so working in alliance with nature for an individual's healing process has thus far proven incredibly therapeutic. So that's one aspect. Um, The second, and again, you can see how this is all tied to my original 
uh, interest in designing experiences is um, I'm getting trained and will continue to become a professional in psychedelic assisted therapy. And again, this is a healing experience where someone is not asked to be healed, Mm -hmm. but instead goes through an experience where their own healing intelligence can be empowered to begin to do the work. Nobody can heal you, but somebody can give you the space to begin to heal yourself. And as you begin that journey and take that walk, there are certain places where the walk is easier or more instructional and other places where you're just walking in circles. Mm, And so walking through nature, I would argue, is a really meaningful way to walk the path. Walking the path with the occasional meaningful, intentional, spiritual, and uh, facilitated psychedelic or ethnogen experience, Mm -hmm. absolutely fundamental to glimpsing the actual experience of life in a different way. Just like I said when I was 16, sitting within the heart sandwich of my dad and my best friend, I experienced directly the felt sensation of love in a way that I had not up until that point, but after could never forget the way that love could feel. And that was not a dragon to be chased through the greater use of LSD, but instead a way of thinking and viewing the world to be trained through mindfulness and meta practice and gratitude and compassion and greater intimacy. And so my life is filled with more love but what was helped or what helped me arrive here was the experience without having to do the work and saying oh my god look at this this feels different how could my life be this like be more like this um so nature psychedelic assisted therapy um, and more experiences, mm. you know, just like I said that psychedelics or being in nature can help to deliver you at the doorsteps of something new, a new feeling, a new insight. I want to continue to develop experiences that can do the same for you in ways that are more focused, you know, in ethnogen psychedelic experience is going to be one which is up to you to arrive upon you and the medicine will work together to begin unpacking the things that are most important to you at that point in your life. Within the context of nature, again, nature is simply holding space for your process. In the um, intimacy experience that I've just designed in the audio format, that one is not for you to kind of take it your own way. Let's see what comes up. No, we're we're looking directly at your love relationship and we are attempting to explore, unpack and allow to surface deep feelings of love for this person. That, I mean, that is a targeted experiential practice. We can target our intentions in many different ways. And I find it to be one of the most fun processes in the world for me. My creative juices just pour like the river Nile (laughs) to create an opportunity for people to share in the magic of life and to experience it 
in the deepest way possible. And if you don't necessarily know how or it is not your greatest curiosity to sit around writing out basically a script for what somebody should go do during their day in order to feel deep intimacy or deep senses of danceability because like I'm trying to get somebody to just feel like their whole life is a dance Mm -hmm. or where I want somebody to feel like they're an artist for a day how could I how could I stage your day give you activities have things come into your life Mm -hmm. that make you feel like the most creative person by the end of the day how could that be useful to a team trying to create a new project or if I'm trying to think about how can I deliver upon a group the experiential truth of the underlying human needs that I was describing earlier and saying, look, the cultural differences are relevant and yet do not really speak to the true underlying reality for all humans. Well, if you don't believe that, how can I help you to experience it? Because Mm -hmm. I'm sure that the experience itself is real. Um, There are many experiences valuable And you don't need to fly to India or China or to leave the country at all to experience the real magic and wonder of this world. And so my goal is to bring that to people right at their own homes and to change the way they see the world because they experienced it differently. I'm so excited for you. (laughs) (laughs) I love this so much. Um, And it was so great to meet you too. Yeah, I just knew I was like, he needs to share his story. I need to have people listen to this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited for your like psychedelic therapy and in integrating that with nature. I think that's going to be so powerful. And hmm. Nature is so healing. I know. Um, it's incredible. But the last thing that I want to ask you uh, as we're wrapping up is what are three things you're grateful for <laughs> hmm. off the top of your head? Yeah. The first one, that, <laughs> the first one that comes up immediately is family. Yeah. I'd, I'd be nowhere without them. They are absolutely the rock. Um, the second is friends. They too have helped me to grow so many times over um, and have supported me through pretty much all of this. Hmm. The ancestors, um, global. Mm. I mean, all that I get to be is upon the hard working labor of everyone who has come before us. Mm. And from our ancestors coming out of the heart of southeastern Africa all the way through the migration over planet earth. I mean, traditions and ways of being and shared knowledge and story have all been passed down. And, and to think that we've made it this far through all the things that we've had to go through. Thank you ancestors for the much, much harder days that you gritted your teeth through, or perhaps smiled and danced through, um, to make this moment possible. We'd be nowhere without you. Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Well, thank you. 
Of course. This has been so fun. Um, I hope you enjoyed your time. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to get to unpack the story and mm. yeah, it's very sentimental and and also there's just it's amazing how much there is. You know, I don't know how long we've spoken for now, but I mean, yeah, I feel like I've only just barely scratched the mm. surface, which uh, I find so fascinating. Yeah. Um. So maybe another time. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to catch up with you later on down the road when you're deep into therapy and hearing mm. how like because I'm sure once you're working with people of all backgrounds working through so many different shadows and demons perhaps yeah. I'm sure I'm sure you will expand even more as a teacher and a, a experienced creator mm. <laughs> I just made that up yeah no but experienced designer you're on experienced it. designer yeah all the words i can't remember yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time to be here and share a little bit about a little bit about you and what you're passionate about and um i really hope that um, whoever chooses to listen to this they are inspired by your vulnerability and your um drive to create intimacy in all relationships and really meaningful connections so you guys should definitely check out the cards that he recommended and the book at the very end but yeah thank you for being here (laughs) yeah thank you so much and where can people find you if they want to connect with you reach out to you yeah, I think the most reliable way is to hop online, Noah Lebeau, N-O-A-H-L-E-B-E-A-U.com, and just join my mailing list. That'll be, I think, the way to get a direct feed on me. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I have Instagram, Noah Lebeau, and I have a TikTok as well. No way. <laughs> yeah, but I really don't post there almost ever. It just, it's not very fluid for me yet. So, yeah, if you want to know what I'm up to, I think the the mailing letter is a way to get a, a direct feed. Put put your finger on the pulse of all things me. Amazing. Yeah. I will join that list <laughs> so I can keep up with you. Um, cool. But, yeah, thank you again for being here. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I appreciate you. And I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>